Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Are we on? We're good? Okay. Ah. Now, whenever the Scots-Irish passion kicks in, you've got to tone it down a little bit. Okay. So, some of you who have met me will know that I am not from these parts, and I've already given it away. I'm from Northern Ireland. I usually just say I'm from Arkansas, because that's really where I live. Um, And I'm still living there. I've been nine years there in Arkansas. Um, And I made the journey just Friday night and Saturday to here. I'm preaching this evening in Colorado Springs, so I have a bit of a journey this afternoon. Pray for me uh, in that. Uh, but it's a, it's a real joy just to be back with you. Some of you will remember I was here last year with my family, my wife, uh, and my youngest daughter. We were just uh, rounding off a, a holiday, a vacation in Montana, and uh, so it was a joy just to swing by and make some new friends in Sterling. And you have been really new friends to me and wonderful friends. I want to thank you for your, for your prayers and, and your support and your interest. You heard me once, and you suddenly uh, see the importance of reaching our Jewish neighbors. That doesn't always happen in churches, so uh, you, you get some check marks for, uh, for, for that. And, and, uh, but coming again and again, and this would be my normal plan with a lot of uh, the churches that uh, I get connected with, I want to be accountable to you, and so I want to return year on year um, to even have you ask the awkward questions. What are you doing with our money? (laughs) What are you doing as we partner with you? What is your work? Uh, And I think that's really important. I was a pastor for 18 years, a regular pastor within the Presbyterian Church in Ireland uh, and the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And I still am uh, a PCA credentialized pastor uh, here in the U.S. Um, So I know what it's like for pastors to have these strange Irishmen drop by and and with fancy accents. And uh, we need church. We need to do the due diligence on missionaries and missionary societies to make sure they're kosher, if you want to put it that way. Um, and I, I, I say that just as the pastor to the people. Uh, but then when you, uh, when you realize that if this is a worthy work, then you get behind it. And that's what delights my heart. And uh, I, I enjoy just that kind of partnership and that accountability with local churches. Well, what I want to do uh, this morning um, is perhaps for about 40, 45 minutes um, Maybe we'll have some time for Q&A, depending upon how quickly I get through my slides. But I want to lay out um, some of the reasons why we do what we do. I think I, I kind of remember last time when I was with you, I did something of the, 
uh, of the underground work and the work in Pittsburgh, and I'll talk a little bit about that as well, and the work in South Florida uh, that we engage in. But I think it's also important for us to know why we do what we do. Um, I was recently reading a, a book, a small booklet, on the beginnings of Jewish mission in Scotland. And it dates back to the 1830s. And in fact, our ministry started out of that in 1842. And what really struck me was here were a group of pastors and people in Scotland in the 1830s who just got a burden for Israel. Now, there weren't many Jewish people living in Scotland in the 1830s, hardly any at all. But they had a theological burden for the Jewish people to bring the gospel back to them. And indeed, in, in our own Presbyterian documents, the Westminster documents, the Westminster Assembly of Divines, they had prayers for the redemption of the Jewish people back in the 1600s. So, in other words, this has been something that has been uh, on the radar of church for hundreds of years. And it concerns me that not every church in the U.S. has an evangelistic interest in the Jewish people, and we ought to. And therefore, that's kind of been my, my burden as I travel across the U.S. and various parts to grow that interest biblically, historically, and present-day contextually with regard to bringing the gospel to our Jewish neighbors. So, all that by way of background, and I'll flesh it out as we go through uh, the slides. But you'll see from the opening slide that our mission statement, and I'm uh, so blind I can't see that up there, so I'm going to have to turn and read it. But our mission statement falls really into two things, to advance the Christian faith, interdenominational evangelistic agency, proclaiming the gospel to the Jewish people, primary first importance, bringing the gospel to our Jewish neighbors, but then also to challenge and assist the church to do the same effectively with a particular focus on the U.S. We are the North America branch. So it is bringing the gospel to Jewish people, and it's challenging the church and helping the church to bring the gospel to Jewish people. Those are our two things. Now, I want to give a little bit of a history lesson, and some of, these, uh, some of the subject matter uh, I have given at greater length, and indeed they're up on YouTube, and I'll, I'll tell you in a moment where you can find them. But I want to say this, that the Reformation changed everything. The Reformation changed everything for a lot of reasons, but particularly for Jewish mission. And I've got two quotes from rabbis here, and I think this is really interesting just to read what the rabbis are saying pertaining uh, to the change between Roman Catholic anti-Semitism and reformational uh, interest and love for Jewish people. So, the Jewish Publication Society has written, the Dutch granted the Jews a level of freedom and religious tolerance beyond anything in any other state in Europe at the time. The Dutch. Why the Dutch? Because the Dutch had been taken over by Reformed theology at that time. Holland after gaining her freedom from Spain and the Inquisition, was one of the few countries in the world where a Jew had a chance. This was partly because the Dutch were Protestants. That's what a rabbi says. 
So I think really I, I want to use that and try and make the distinction between what has happened in so-called church history throughout all the centuries and the way in which the Jewish people were treated and the way things changed uh, at the time of the Reformation. You may have heard of replacement theology. Well, I want to suggest that the Roman church was first and foremost the replacement church for Israel. I don't believe in replacement theology. I'm sure you know that. But the Roman church basically replaced everything Israel was doing. And then there was absolutely no need for Israel at all. So the Roman church had its priests, had its sacrifice, and had all manner of ways in which they were the mediators for you to get to God. There was no need for Israel. The church, the Roman church, had now replaced Israel. But, and again, sweeping through history, Reformation changed everything. Now, truth is, again, we would need to take a lot more time over it, but Martin Luther flip-flopped. In his first instance, though, he was interested in reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. Where did that come from? I think it's really interesting that when Martin Luther was converted as a monk who tried his best to please God and suddenly discovered justification by faith alone, one of the first things he wanted to do was win the Jewish people to Jesus. Again, where did that come from? Now, the truth is that he met with a brick wall, and he met with a lot of opposition, and he ended up really believing that he was at the end of the world and the end of time, and he was fighting for the gospel, and the Roman church was heretical, and the Jewish people were just unbelievers. And so he flipped, and he wrote a lot of anti-Semitic vitriol that Hitler would later use. So Luther... A good start didn't really finish well, particularly pertaining to Jewish mission. We could talk more length of that another time, but quickly fast forwarding. Calvin, Calvin was better. Calvin really didn't meet very many Jewish people, though, but his writings were warmer. And so what we're seeing is that there was an interest in the Jewish people. There was an interest in the Hebrew language, particularly at the time of the Reformation. Where are they going to get Hebrew scholars? Well, they had to go to the rabbis. So there was a greater interaction at the time of the Reformation with Hebrews and the Hebrew language. As that Reformation continued over to Holland from Germany, Switzerland, now to Holland, you have Wilhelmus Abrakel writing in the 1600s, really the, what is termed the Second Reformation. Holland is being taken over by Reformed theology, praise God. And that is affecting their politics as well, and it's affecting their interest and safekeeping of the Jewish people. And we'll find that, uh, uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Again, a lot more uh, pictures. I could use this as a Sunday school lesson. Do you know what the next one is? Do you know what the next one? Who's the next one? Who's the next one? I don't need to go there. I'll, I'll just continue fast-forwarding. But Westminster documents, that's where the Westminster Assembly was held. Jonathan Edwards I've got up there, Spurgeon I've got up there, Murray McShane I've got up there. These are all heroes, if you want to put it in that way, that had a hope in the redemption of the Jewish people, a prayer burden for Israel, and a practical interest in bringing the gospel back 
to the Jewish people. And so, we've, again, we've got uh, one of Spurgeon's. You may have picked it up last time, but one of Spurgeon's sermons. He preached for this missionary society uh, back in the 1870s, I think. I'll need to just check. Okay. 18. 1864, there you go, was when he preached this sermon for this missionary society as, their, as the annual sermon. So the, what you see is the Roman church had replaced, but the Reformed church was embracing. The Roman church had kicked them out of every country in Europe. The Reformed church was welcoming them into whatever countries Reformation theology had taken hold. Now, again, a quick history lesson, 1492. 1492, class, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, yeah. But before that, two things happened. There was the edict of expulsion. All the Jewish people were kicked out of Spain and Navarre, and there was the expansion of Columbus's voyages. I think it's fascinating. One of the things that I've been doing really in the last nine years of living here is to learn where the Jewish people have come from. Why in the USA do we have 42% of the world's Jewish population? Why? Well, it's by the divine hand, but it's also these amazing providences. So, in 1492, they're all kicked out of Europe, and in 1492, Columbus starts his journeys. It's said that Columbus certainly had Hebrews on his ships because he, he needed Hebrew-speaking uh, helpers. He thought he would meet the lost tribes of Israel in the New World. In fact, it, some suggest that Columbus was Jewish, and there is even some evidence, slim perhaps, maybe, but nobody knows where he was born and when he was born. Now, I know it's 1492, dates, history, maybe go into fogginess, but why would you hide where you were born, when you were born? Well, if you were Jewish, you would. So, there's, there's a certain amount of evidence that at least he had Jewish people on board. And so, what you find is that there is, again, we're fast-forwarding through history, but in the providence of God, it's sometimes good just to take the 30,000 feet view. And Jewish people are starting to come into the New World. 16 or 1500s reformations happening in Europe, a different expulsion and expansion. A certain monk gets expelled from the Roman church, and reformation and gospel theology starts to expand. Isn't it wonderful to think of the way in which God is working in our time and history? All things, all things, even 2020, are worked together for good, for His good. Fast forward into the early 1600s, you have a Jewish community in Brazil. First Jewish community uh, in the New World was in Brazil. First synagogue in the New World was in Brazil, Recife, Brazil. Brazil at that time was in the care of the Dutch. There was a lot of trade, Dutch trading across the ocean. But 1654, another date that lives in memory, is when Brazil was taken over by the Portuguese. Portuguese, Catholic, Dutch, Protestant, you get the picture. So they're all kicked out again. The small Jewish community in Brazil are all sent back to Holland, except one ship. One ship, the St. Catherine, 
gets pirated in the Spanish islands. Spanish islands, Catholic, take over the ship. So you're not going anywhere. Dutch money, maybe Jewish money, I'm not sure, says, let my people go. And that one ship carries on its journey and limps up the coastline, not to Amsterdam, but pulls in at New Amsterdam in the New World. Ten years later, New Amsterdam changes its name to New York. All by accident, the amazing, stunning providence of God, whereby 23 souls are rescued and given safe haven in what was later to become the United States. 23 souls arrive up the Hudson in 1654, and the 23 are now 2 million today in New York and 6 million across the USA. Not by accident. The maps have gone, the lumens <laughs> have gone too bright, but the red dots, I did have it up, I think, last year when I was with you. The red dots are where the Jewish communities are. A lot of East Coast, West Coast, South Florida, snowbirds. But we have 42% of the world's Jewish population here in the United States, not by accident. Therefore, the point that I make, we have an obligation, a biblical, a historical, and a present-day contextual obligation to bring the gospel. I think I did reference this the last time I was with you. Um, this is my colleague, Mitch Tepper. Uh, Mitch is engaged in street evangelism in Pittsburgh. Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh is home to half of Pittsburgh's Jewish community. Uh, I think it's something like uh, there's about 30,000 Jewish people uh, in Pittsburgh. It's, it's very, very liberal. I was uh, walking the streets there with him just two months ago, um, and uh, this was April 21. And again, without trying to be political, or, or I, I don't want to be political in any way, but everyone walking the streets of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh in April 2021 was wearing a mask. And I said to Mitch, you know, I, I, I had just come back from Texas, and COVID was gone in Texas, you know. <laughs> but I'm in, I'm in Pittsburgh, and everybody's wearing a mask. He says, it's just politics. And so it's a very liberal, Jewish liberal Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, but he's there on the street corners with the Shalom board asking people what or who brings peace. That's just one question. People will answer one question, and they'll put a little sticker, they'll put a little post-it, they'll write on it, um, and they will give their answer. But it opens up all kinds of questions and opens up all kinds of conversations uh, on, in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. He does that also in South Florida, Four times a year, we fly him down to South Florida to do a week or 10 days of similar ministry and also some church ministry in South Florida. His dad lives in South Florida as well. His 96-year-old Jewish atheist dad lives in Delray Beach, Florida. Please pray for him and pray for the many other 90-something dads who live in South Florida. Jewish atheist such a sad reality, but pray for Mitch sowing the seed in Squirrel Hill and uh, in Delray Beach. This is his dad, and again, I'll, I'll maybe make mention to it later, but I got the opportunity uh, to take his dad out to dinner, and his, his dad said, well, I'm paying. 
96-year-old man wants to pay for your dinner. I said, no, 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 you're not. I'm paying. And I said, salvation is of the Jews. You, you don't believe that, I know. You don't, you don't believe what I believe. But your Jesus has changed my life and the life of my kids and the life of my grandkids. And my little five-year-old grandson is marching around the room at bedtime singing full voice, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and I said to this man, your Jesus has changed all of our lives. I'm paying. <laughs> Pray for Jewish atheists in South Florida. And again, the point that I want to raise here is that the greatest hindrance to Jewish mission is the confusion of the Christian church. And while we have a warm-heartedness towards Jewish mission, we have a pro-Israel mindset in the USA, but we're all over the map when it comes to what do we actually do? What, 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 what should… Well, we buy a tree, we stand with Israel, we'll stare at blood moons or buy books on obscure verses of Daniel. That's… What is our calling, church? When the Lord in time and history and over hundreds of years has engineered divinely 42% of the world's Jewish community to be here, what is our obligation? It is to bring back what they brought to us. It's to bring the gospel to our Jewish neighbors. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, I've had uh, lots of conversations back and forth across the pond with my colleagues over there, and, and you've got, we've got my colleagues in, in Amsterdam and in Paris and in London and in Glasgow and in Hong Kong and in Australia and in Israel, and please read all about their uh, meetings with Jewish people uh, all around the world in our international magazine. But I think, and sometimes the desires that we have, well, we need more missionaries, we need more missionaries, and we do, and please pray for more missionaries. I'm currently even in conversation with one prospective uh, youngish man who is interested, uh, perhaps enjoying us for frontline, Mitch Tepper, frontline missionary work. Um, but the point that I make is I can never have enough missionaries to reach six million people. And the greatest resource for telling Jewish people, telling everyone about Jesus, the greatest resource is, is you guys. The greatest resource is the Christian church. And so, the providence of God that 42% of Israel is here, 6 million are here, then what is required of us? To whom much has been given, much will be required. Now, I did um, mention some of these things last time I was with you, but I've been able to flesh out a little and give you a little bit more information. We have an opportunity unlike any other nation. And in our Reformed theology, we have a missiological mandate unlike any other theology. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe in dual covenant theology like John Hagee. We don't believe in such things. We believe in reformational theology, which means that we bring the gospel to our Jewish neighbors. We need the manpower, though. I want to recruit the best and avoid the rest. <laughs> I, I say that honestly because, um, and they say confession is good for the soul. There have been times when we have hired wrongly. And um, you may be in business, you may be, you may be 
knowing the same. There have been times when we hire wrongly. We, we, we do our due diligence. We seek the Lord's will, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. So hire the best, recruit the best, and avoid the rest. But then the other thing, and I've been praying for, to the Lord, please send me more missionaries, send me more missionaries. If he doesn't, well, what then? And I think I did share this one with you last time. I want to raise up a dad's army. I want to raise up volunteers. Because I do believe very strongly that uh, quote from a document of 2011. However many full-time Christian workers were able to recruit, there'll never be enough missionaries to reach every Jewish person. The local church is God's main agent of evangelism. And so, again, going back to our opening um, statement, our mission statement, we want frontline evangelism, but we also want to assist the church to be the church. And that's really what I'm doing as I, as I seek your prayers, as I seek your interest, and even perhaps in some ways perhaps help you. You know, sometimes when you get a prayer burden, the Lord suddenly brings a Jewish person across your path. You might have a Jewish lawyer or a Jewish dentist or... Jewish doctor or just a Jewish friend or neighbor. I don't know what the population is here. Probably not many. But sometimes, again, the prayer burden is that the Lord will bring someone across our path. I want you to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And so one of the things that I, again, I shared with you last time, it was really at its very early stages, and I'm able now to, uh, to give you perhaps the, the fuller picture, and that is our AC course the Awakening the Conscience course. Um, and I've sought to develop a 20-week or a 20-lecture, sermon lecture. Um, I, I never give lectures. I just preach. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher. I remember giving lectures at, at a seminary, and, and uh, they said, thank you for that sermon on, on sermoning, on preaching. <laughs> um, but 20 lectures, 20 sermons on how to reach our Jewish neighbor and why we should reach our Jewish neighbor from a biblical perspective, a historical perspective, and then a present contextual perspective. Uh, ten of these are done. Ten of them are on our website. Ten of them are up on YouTube. Uh, if you YouTube search CWIN America, CWI North America, you'll find ten of the lectures are up there. Um, and we hope to have another 10 by the end of the year. Every two weeks, uh, at least for the first five months, we'll probably take a summer break, but then we'll get another 10 up uh, in the fall through to the end of the year. But this has been my attempt, at least, to put some of the wisdom that I might have, if any, uh, into the church. So we have about 40 or 50 students already who are signed up and intentional in taking this course you can jump in at any time, and you can back to, you can, uh, they're, they're all available. You can start at number one at your own uh, leisure. In addition to the lectures that are online, we have a PDF of the text. So again, some of you prefer to read and listen. Some of you prefer to read and listen and have the text so that you can reference it maybe at another time. That's all available on our website as well, cwina.org, cwina.org resources, I think, is the tab, and you'll find um, the course work there. You'll find the PDFs there as well. I really believe that I want to, to stir the church to be the church. I have other churches that are looking at it as a possible for a small group uh, series. 
Um, I was recently down in South Florida at a very sizable um, Presbyterian church, and I, I smile at it because I've never been in a mega Presbyterian church. This was a 4,000-member church, and uh, I was brought on the stage and told, stand at this X here, and the spotlights came on. I had a dressing room. Nobody came to do my makeup, I'm afraid, but this was unusual to me. I was way out of my depth, but this was a church in Boca Raton, 100,000 Jewish people in Boca Raton. Did I want to preach there? You bet. And so we've been able to start the connection with that church. Some of them are even doing this course, and some of them are considering it as even a small group of the church uh, to, to continue that. So it's, it's mobilizing the forces. It's, it's stirring the troops to be the church in Jewish South Florida or Jewish wherever we are. So that's the Awakening the Conscience course. We sow a good seed, and we seek to bring back the gospel to those that brought it to us. Again, I repeatedly say that the book is Jewish, the man is Jewish, the message is Jewish, the first missionaries were Jewish, and we are here in Sterling, Colorado, because Jewish people 2,000 years ago took the message of their Messiah across oceans, waters, so that the Gentile nations would hear the gospel of their Messiah. We are here because of what they did. We are here because of their intentionality. They brought the message, and many of them put, were put to death because of it. But we are here because of the man, the message, the missionaries. It's all Jewish. It's time to pay back. It's time to pay back that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. Our desire is to bring that gospel back to them. We've got mercy. Praise God. We are not the replacement. We have been grafted in. We have been stuck on. Romans 11 talks about natural branches and the unnatural branches. I'm goyim. I'm Gentile. I'm unnaturally stuck on. Praise the Lord for His grace in restoring those who were far off. You were once far off. What that means is we, we were strangers to the covenants. We had no idea of all of this stuff. This stuff came to the Jewish people. Salvation is of the Jews. The promises, the covenants, the human ancestry of Christ, it's all Jewish. You who once were far off, Gentiles, have been brought near. Wow. So now our responsibility is to bring it to those who are near. The gospel is near you. The word is near you. It's on their wrists. They've got little boxes. It's on their heads. They've got little boxes. It's on their doorposts. They've got little boxes with Scripture in it. The word is near you, but it's not in their heart. They seek to work it out by their own efforts, by a righteousness that is their own, they're either atheist or all the way through up to ultra-Orthodox. One of the a couple of the sessions I've done in this 
uh, pertain to how do we talk to the atheist and the agnostic, and then how do we talk to the observant and the orthodox. And so we, you know, there's 57 varieties of Jewish belief and practice, and so we need to know where they are uh, so that we engage sensitively, wisely. But whether they are atheist or ultra-orthodox, they need Jesus. You remember when Jesus was speaking about the rich man and Lazarus. Um, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, the Jews are they're God's chosen people. They're okay, aren't they? They're, they're, they get a pass. No, they don't. There is salvation in no one else. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved, said the Jewish guy. What did that Jewish fisherman preach on the day of Pentecost? He preached Jesus. What did that Jewish lawyer, Pharisee, Shaol, Paul, what did he preach? He preached Jesus, no other name, in every synagogue he could find. And so we need to bring this message to our Orthodox and our atheist, to all of them. They need Jesus. Jesus spoke that parable about rich man and Lazarus. And there was a certain person who was in hell looking up, and he said, Father Abraham. You know, sometimes we take that and we just say, oh, yeah, that's about someone's in hell, and, they're, you know, and there's a great gulf, and we, we can take all the spiritual lessons and all the gospel lessons. Those are wonderful, incredible gospel lessons that we can learn from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But let's remember, the guy who was in hell was Jewish because he said, Father Abraham. Jewish people, with all the privileges, the promises, the covenants, the human ancestry, my 96-year-old friend, thank you, but I want to tell you about Jesus, and that's what we must do, church. I want to maybe break off there and have a few minutes. Yeah, how shall they hear? So how shall they hear, except someone preaches to them. And have a few minutes maybe of Q&A. Um, I knew I was short for time, and I went a little faster than I thought I was going to be, so that's okay. That's fine. So I want to answer the questions that you are going to be asking. Sometimes I give my spiel, and sometimes it maybe resonates, and sometimes you've got a question. No, I wish I, yeah, he didn't answer that question. So really, let's have, uh, we'll have 10, 15 minutes or so of, uh, we could have even a more, um, 10, 15 minutes of questions, if anyone has it. Right, right, right. I think I also remember there were a few extra slides in there that I probably deleted at last minute, and so, yeah, that's, that's why things have gone a bit shorter. Please ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, where did the idea of the lost tribe of Israel come from? I honestly don't know. The tribes are dispersed. So we know that. Scripturally, we know that there was the, the dispersion. And, uh, you know, we know even that um, when Assyria uh, took over the northern kingdom, there was a dispersion. And when Babylon took over the southern kingdom, there was a dispersion. There was a restoration, of course, but 
there were still dispersions. And then particularly in AD 70, at the time when, when the temple was destroyed, um, there were, again, widespread dispersions. Where would they go? Where would they uh, settle? Um, probably all over. Well, indeed, they did settle all over the known world, and so there were, you know, Paul would go to synagogues all over the uh, Asia Minor and, and uh, even into as far as, uh, as Rome, there would be Jewish believers there as well. So, um, they, were, they were spreading. As far as the lost tribe, there's a lot of mythology can, can get sucked into that. Uh, dark ages and all of that um, can, uh, can, can spark the imagination. But um, all that to say that there was definitely a, an interest in the going into the new world and finding uh, the American Indians, they, they thought, at least, that they may have been descended from the lost tribes or may have, may have been the lost tribes. So that, all I, all I know is what I read, and what I read is that they deliberately took Hebrew, or Columbus deliberately took Hebrew speakers on board so that, uh, so that they could converse. And, and indeed, on the, on the shore excursions, we know of, you know, again, we've got little anecdotes of certain, this Hebrew speaker was sent off to, along with uh, uh, that excursion to see if he could meet with them. Sorry, that really doesn't answer the question so much. It's, it's all very much shrouded in mystery, but the, 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 there was a recognition. Again, how the, the peoples of the world expanded and were dispersed is subject to all manner of, um, you know, there, there, there certainly is evidence of the Jewish people being in China. Um, we, we know also of Jewish people being in Russia, so was there that expansion that way? Was there then even an expansion from China to Russia right across even then to Alaska and, and down? Uh, who knows? Um, again, I'm sure there are books on it, and if anybody has any more enlightenment to, to say on it, um, I haven't found a lot in my research. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's an area I need to look up. I need, uh, there's another book I need to, I need to read <laughs> and learn a little more. Jewish communities in Colorado, and what would be an effective nuts and bolts strategy amongst the churches to reach them? Great question. Um, I would need to pull the map up, but um, I, I basically think every major city in the U.S. has a Jewish community, so I would be thinking of Denver particularly, uh, and, and then Colorado Springs. Um, you can Google anything, so I, I should have I should have Googled that and should have checked the numbers of what you have here. Um, yeah, maybe going to put up the map, but there will be a the the reason I say that every major city I think it's like ninety percent of Jewish people in the U.S. live in urban areas. That that's actually quite remarkable because um, many of them came over from Russia, many of them came over as farmers, many of them come over uh, you know as as just simple. Uh, eking out a living, but they, they became professionals. So they, they very much live in, in the big cities. Um, but even smaller cities, you know, again, I, I haven't got the stats on your own smaller cities, but Kansas City has 10,000 Jewish people, uh, even just north of me, three hours north of me. Um, 
how to reach them, I think as I say, first of all, how do, you, how do we reach anyone? First of all, we need to have a burden, a burden for prayer. And when, we, when a certain um, person or even people group is put on our heart, we believe in prayer, and, 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 and the Lord will very often strangely weave our web of time, and someone will come across our path that, that is Jewish or knows a Jew, or maybe has a Jewish friend, or maybe you have friends or family who live in some of the other cities, um, and, and that you can maybe assist them. I think it's, it's important in all evangelism. Jewish evangelism is, is not, it's somewhat specialized, but it's really not much different. There's the saying that Jewish people are just like everyone else, only more so. Um, and, I, and I think Jewish evangelism is just like everything, is just like every other evangelism, only more so. So there's a, a, an aspect of, yeah, you need to know a little bit of the background. That's why I'm, I'm trying to produce resources. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Just, just tell them, tell them. Begin a conversation. I think there are great barriers that we church need to break down. Church history is bad. Um, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood is a book by Michael Brown, and uh, I think that's a really good title because, um, and one of my lectures also talks of the bad church history, um, pre-Reformation, and all the things that were said and done in the name of church. So they don't want anything to do with church, largely. They don't necessarily want anything to do with Christ, because they were called the Christ killers and have been, continued to be called the Christ killers. So they don't want anything to do with Christ. Um, if you're speaking to them, you may want to use the term Messiah rather than Christ, because Messiah is just the Hebrew term of Christos, the Greek term. So just use the Hebrew term instead. Don't talk about an Old Testament. They don't have an Old Testament. Um, because an old, if we talk about an Old Testament, th- then we kind of are looking down on them and say, well, you've got the old clunker, we got the new model, you know. Um, no, talk to them about the Hebrew Scriptures, or talk to them about the Tanakh. Now, what is the Tanakh? The Tanakh is their Bible, and it's two-thirds of our Bible, and it's simply a shorthand way of saying T-N-K. T-N-K is Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, which is Hebrew for law, prophets, and writings. Jesus spoke of that. So we can talk of the TNK. We can talk of the, instead of Old Testament, just call it the Tanakh. Or if you can't remember the TNK, or the Torah, or the law, the prophets, and the writings, just simply say the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeah, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it says this. Or in in, in the prophet Isaiah, it says this. I also would suggest that a great way of connecting is just by asking questions. That's, again, true for any evangelism. You've got to find out where people are to enable or to help to bring them to where you are. Um, so find out where they are. Don't, don't come preaching and say, don't you see this, 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 and this. Come and, and ask, well, you did Passover recently. Okay, well, what did you do at Passover? You had a family meal, blah, blah, blah. And you did, but don't, don't you go through kind of a story and what was that story about? What, what's, what's with all the blood anyway? You know, and, and do, you don't do blood today? Is it, well, why? why? Why for thousands of years did you need blood, but now you don't? Well, what, what happened? Oh, Mr. Rabbi, Mr. Rabbi says it's okay. Well, no, no, no. 
So you can, you can ask questions um, and demolish arguments, perhaps, in a most gracious manner, but actually get Jewish people, because they're all lawyers, okay, we're, we're all, <laughs> but they love to debate with themselves. Um, you look at the Scriptures, look at Jesus and the debates He had back and forth. Um, and again, it's, it's a stereotype, but they say when you get two Jews together, you get three opinions. So, yeah, you've got the, you've, even within themselves, pose a question, suggest something, and, uh, you know, pose a question. Jeremiah 31 says there is to be a new covenant with the house of Israel. Have you ever read about the, the new covenant? What, what, what is that? What is that new covenant with the house of Israel? Oh, I don't know. I, I need to ask my rabbi to, to, to tell me that one. So you can just, again, pose a question, whether it's Jeremiah 31 or um, Isaiah 53, again, the very obvious one. Um, or you could simply read Isaiah 53. And very often, if you just, can I read you a portion of Scripture? And, and you read a portion of Isaiah. Uh, oh, that must be in the New Testament. That, that, that's, that's Jesus, isn't it? No. No, this, this was written by your guy 700 years earlier. So, again, what I'm trying to say is try and, and pose a question that demolishes either their works righteousness or their rabbinical. And, and to be honest, church has moved 2,000 years, and we have 2,000 years, and a lot of it is bad church history, particularly for Jewish mission. So, we need to admit that. But also Judaism has moved 2,000 years. You don't think that you know what Jewish people believe and, and, and act. Oh, I, I know all about the Jews. I, I read them in my Bible regularly. I, I know. No, no, you don't. Modern-day rabbinic Judaism is, is 2,000 years removed from this. So, that's why, again, it's, it's, it's helpful to ask questions and to, to try and demolish in a gracious way that kind of reasoning. But then, you know, you'll move on. You'll have the ultra-Orthodox who you can engage with Scripture. From the atheist, the atheist doesn't, doesn't believe any of this. It's all, a, it's all a fiction. It's all made up. So, with the atheist, you need to kind of start, there is a God. <laughs> and how do you do that? Well, one of the ways in which I've sought to do it is to show the history. Jewish history says God is. Jewish history is a miracle. You guys shouldn't be here. You guys should have been wiped out a long time ago. For you're here. Let me tell you this story about this St. Catherine ship and 23 souls. And they, never, they, never know, they don't know their own history. <laughs> well, our kids don't know their own history. Yeah, that's another question for another time. But tell them a history. And in so doing, maybe, maybe the man upstairs had something to do with this. And I don't like that term. You know what I mean. But as you're entering into the conversation with an atheist, maybe there was something divine in that. And so you start there, and you try, and there is a God. Well, if there is a God, and if God has been in control of all your lives all of these centuries and thousands of years, do you not think He wants a relationship with you? Do you not think He has spoken of a relationship with you? Well, let's start to read some of that. And let's hear the story about Adam and a broken relationship in the garden. And so you can take the atheist from there is a God, and then, well, we have 
a responsibility towards this God, and then sin, sacrifice, salvation. And you can take the whole Jewish history and tell them their own Jewish history. It was all about sacrifice. Why did you need sacrifice? Why did you need blood? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And then you can carry them on through to show them Isaiah 53 or or Jeremiah 31. And there's a new covenant coming, new covenant with the house of Israel. And the law is going to be put in your hearts. It's going to be put right in your hearts, not the externals. I never read, never saw that before. So you see, just taking people from where they are to where the gospel shows them the wonderful truths of salvation. With the Orthodox, it's going to be a little harder because they, have, they, they, will, they will believe this, or believe the, the old clunker. <laughs> they will believe the Tanakh. And some of them, actually, the ultra-Orthodox, will only believe the first five books. The, the rest is a little less inspired. So the ultra-Orthodox have a greater level of inspiration with the first five. Moses is greater than Isaiah, for example. And so with them, you need to say, okay, well, what did Moses say? You take them to Leviticus, take them to that verse, perhaps, you know, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. You take them to the verse that said that Moses declared that someone else would come in like manner to, to Moses. Who, who is going, who's the new Moshe? Who's the new Moshe who's going to come? Well, his name is Jesus. And so, again, the, the ultra-Orthodox are quite a breed apart in that sense. They are very separatist and hard to connect with. But the Apostle Paul, that's where he would have been. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. And the Lord breaks in. So the Lord may break in. It's ultimately, ultimately a work of God. We know all salvation is of the Lord. All We, we, we need to be faithful in our testimony, in our delivering the gospel, in all its truth, in all its wonder. We need to be faithful and then leave the results to God. Uh, We're we're not there to seal the deal. I I keep saying this to Mitch while he's on the streets, and sometimes he will pray with people, Um, and sometimes he will lead them to their Messiah on the streets. And uh, as a sober Scots Presbyterian, I'm a little skeptical of, 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 of that, I have to say. Uh, but it may be someone or that, somewhere at the right time. But I keep telling him, we're here to sow a seed, not seal the deal. So let's sow our seeds, but develop the conversation. And I think the greatest, the greatest thing in evangelism is friendship. Because we've bad church history. They don't trust the church, but they may trust a friend. And I can think specifically of Mitch and his wife Mia up in Pittsburgh, and they've got several Jewish friends who Zoom in with them every Friday night. And he has a Zoom call. He has a Friday night. He's, he's Jewish. Mitch is a Jewish believer. He's been a Jewish believer for 40 years. Now, he has a Friday night meeting um, that a lot of Jewish homes would have. It's Shabbat. So he will uh, go through the challah bread and the wine, and every Jewish home will do that. It's a, Shabbat, it's a Shabbat thing. And so he does that, but he preaches Jesus. And he has all these friends. Some used to come in person. They're not coming in person. It's Jewish Pittsburgh. It's very, uh, very liberal. So they're coming in by Zoom. But I've joined him a few times, and every time he's there, he's preaching Jesus on the Zoom call. 
and they tune in every Friday night to Mitch. Why? Because he's their friend. And one time I was in, uh, in I actually was in his home when we were doing it, and I, I simply said, Mitch, you know, this is great. And I said to the folks that, that were listening and who were Jewish, not believers, and I said, you know, this, this is wonderful that you have Mitch and Mia here, and you trust them. You know that they're telling you the truth. And I, I used the example, I think it was of, of Ruth um, or Naomi, and Bethlehem opened up in the sense that uh, bread was to be found at the house of bread again. There's bread in Bethlehem. And so they, they, Ruth and Naomi, they make their way back. You know the story. And Naomi knew where to find bread. And the point that I would be making to, uh, to the Jewish friends on Zoom, friends, you know where to find bread. Mitch and me are your trusted friends. And I simply would say that when it comes to our Jewish evangelism, when it comes to any evangelism, establish friendships, long-lasting trusted friendships. So that I had, a, I had a gentleman in Jackson, Mississippi, contacted me a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, I have a Jewish friend from high school. He was in his 70s. He said, I have a Jewish friend from high school. She's dying of cancer. I need to talk to her. And I said, yes, you do. But you've deserved the right. You've earned the right to talk to her. And so he did. Now, his family, or the, her family didn't like it. In fact, they kind of wanted him out of there. But he was able to be there because of the 50 years of friendship. Friendship evangelism, that's key. Time is pretty much gone. <laughs> Thank you. You got another sermon. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't answered all the questions, but I'm here to answer anytime.